Yeah, but we can't start without some theme music. Entirely from old trumpets. Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night. Welcome. We are on two sides of the Atlantic today. And yes, this is a strange voice for you to be hearing opening our show, because that's usually the job of the mighty Paul the Mac. But um, this is a very special episode, and we're welcoming a friend of mine, colleague, uh, co-writer on the DC Comics News uh, website and the head reviews editor too. If you think um, I'm a nerd Yoda or a Geekipedia, this man has knowledge about stuff I cannot even begin to comprehend. Um, the Archie comics, Pep, and so many wonderful things that never really made it to our side of the pond. So I'm very, very happy to welcome not only my usual cohorts and colleagues and compatriots of Paul McGuigan and Dan Belgrave, but the legend that is Mr. Matthew B. Lloyd. Matt, thanks so much for joining us. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. I am so happy to be here to join in and discuss something that I really love. Very excited. That's what this show's about. Things we really love. And Matt, obviously, meet Paul and meet Dan. Paul, how are you today, brother? I'm not too bad at all. Thank you very much. I'm very excited. I'm looking forward to the first time that we're all in the same boat together. None of us have a clue what's going on. (laughs) Dano, how are you, mate? I'm good. I'm good. A little bit tired, you know, living that work life. But uh, other than that, man, I'm I'm ready and raring to go. I I did some work once. 1993, I think it was. Anyway. My wife did have one question for you, Matt. Okay. Whereabouts in the U.S. are you? I am in Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, that's really weird. We recently seem to be hearing all about Greensboro. I don't know why. Well, uh, well some of the uh, we had some, uh, you know, protesting and stuff downtown oh, you did, uh, yeah. in Greensboro. The International Civil Rights Museum is in Greensboro, North Carolina. Oh, okay. It's 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 in the uh, old Woolworths department store building where the lunch counter sit-ins were in the '60s. Oh wow. So that might be that might be part of it. Yeah, I think she watched a TV show as well. Oh, are you watching that Outer Banks? I don't Netflix know what it is. Uh, she probably a reality show. That's mostly what she's been watching. Uh, <laughs> oh, is it uh, uh, my my big fat fabulous life? That one. That's the one. Whitney. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Whitney. Yeah, Whitney. That's that's Greensboro. As a matter <laughs> of fact, one day I was walking into my comic book store and they're outside filming part of it. Oh, really? I'm like, I'm like, um, can I get in? I need to buy my comics. <laughs> and I went and said, I was like, hey, John, do, do you know what's going on outside? <laughs> How so, dare they block the entrance to a comic book no. store? That's punishable by death in some countries. <laughs> or if it isn't, it should be. Yeah. <laughs> so we're here to talk about um, in spe- specifically one character, the fly. Um, because anyone who listened last week knows we talked about Spidey and there's either some controversy or some stories floating around that perhaps Stan and Steve uh, were a little bit naughty and copied much of the fly story for their character of Spider-Man. But before we get into that, Matthew's here and we want to pick his brains. We want to suck every bit of meat off that chicken leg and get him to talk to us mainly 
Matt, first of all, just give us an intro on Archie Comics in general, then, of course, their superhero line, and then we'll, we'll lead into the flight. So, sir, the floor is yours. Okay. Um, Archie Comics started as a comic company called MLJ Comics in 1939. MLJ was the uh, first letter initials of the three uh, business partners that started the company, Maurice Coyne, Louis Silbercleet, and John L. Goldwater. Anybody who's familiar with Archie Comics will recognize that Goldwater name as there's been a Goldwater uh, in the company uh, ever since the beginning. Uh, their first title was Blue Ribbon Comics in uh, November of 1939, and it featured uh, – uh, a number of different uh, genres of stories, uh, mystery, detective. There was a animal adventure story with a orangutan. The Wonder Dog was, I think, the lead feature in that first issue. Uh, and then pretty quickly they got into some costume types with a, a character called the Fox in issue number four. Uh, and it was by Erwin uh, Hassan, who you'll know from uh, – DC's Wildcat and Sensation, yeah, Sensation Comics number one. He went into some stuff for uh, DC later on with Green Lantern and the like. Uh, and incidentally, there's a real visual similarity between the Fox and Wildcat. If you see the early Fox stories and then what Hassan did later on with uh, Wildcat, there's a real similarity there. Uh, then 1940, uh, Pep Comics number one uh, came out, and this is what I discussed with Tony on, on his show. Uh, and the S.H.I.E.L.D. character, uh, the first patriotic superhero uh, ever. And I discussed with him, you know, how it's relationship to Captain America. But I think we want to talk about some of that later he on. He came and, first, yeah. Yeah, the S.H.I.E.L.D. came first. We'll end up talking about some of the relationships between some of these Archie characters and some other characters that are much more well-known from Marvel and D.C. That, uh, but, so we won't spend too much time on that. But uh, they continue to introduce a number of titles, uh, Zip Comics, Top Notch Comics, uh, The Shield got his own title, The Black Hood got his own title for a while, The Hangman got his own title. But in uh, Pep Comics number 22, they introduced uh, a teen humor character that everyone knows as Archie Andrews, the redheaded kid from Riverdale. Uh, so there's a TV show. Do you guys get that TV show over there? I'm sure you get the Arrow and the Flash and all Riverdale's that stuff. Riverdale's here, yeah. Yeah. Riverdale's so, so those characters, that started in 19, uh, was it 42, 41, 42, and uh, Pep Comics number 22, uh, introducing Archie and the first characters in the Riverdale gang. And uh, throughout the 40s, uh, they published uh, not only the superhero books, but the, uh, uh, the teen humor stuff. And the teen humor, uh, as the 40s uh, waned, took over and got more popular to the point that they changed the company name to Archie Comics because it was such a recognizable brand for them. Uh, and so by the by the 46, I think it was, they stopped doing the uh, any superhero titles at all, and it was all teen humor. And then you had, you know, all the comics changed over to featuring Jughead, Betty and Veronica, Reggie, all the characters that you know from the the, the teen humor stuff. And uh, then later on, uh, when DC had a uh, uh, success with the revival of the Flash and Showcase Number Four. It gave other comic companies the idea maybe we should revive some of our uh, superhero characters. And so Archie uh, went out in 1959. We're able to tap on uh, Joe Simon and Jack Kirby's shoulder and get them to come aboard to uh, help them relaunch with two titles: Lancelot Strong, The Shield, a uh, a reworking uh, of the. Uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. character in much the same vein that Barry Allen is the reworking of the Flash character. Same superhero name, different 
uh, uh, civilian identity and different actual story. Uh, and additionally, the Joe Simon and Jack Kirby uh, created the Fly as a brand new character. And uh, there was some lawsuit, or not, or not, maybe not lawsuit, some legal threatened legal action by C. DC because the Lancelot Strong Shield had a bit too much resemblance to Superman, they felt. And so that title lasted two issues. Uh, but the fly went on for 30, 30 some issues uh, throughout the 60s. And they introduced another character called the Jaguar uh, that ran 15 issues concurrently with uh, the early part of the fly run. And, uh, and then in the mid 60s, just before the, the Batman TV show came out uh, in 66, about a year before that, they started reintroducing other of the old characters. So they brought back the Shield, the Hangman, the Black Hood, the Comet, and uh, that ran till '68 or something like that. And then they kind of uh, disappeared again. Uh, but then they had another revival in the '80s, uh, an almost revival in the '70s, a, mi a, a real revival in the '80s, and of course later on they were licensed by Z DC for uh, Impact Comics. Impact Comics. Yep, yeah. so you guys might remember that. Uh, and then uh, later on, DC also tried to bring him into the actual DC universe in a series of books. And then it had to be around 2010, 8, 9, something like that, Archie decided to try to do their own thing with them again. Started as a digital first series. Uh, and then uh, eventually they got back to publishing some uh, actual floppies. And we saw a uh, series with The Hangman. Uh, a couple series with Black Hood that did the best, and uh, there's another one I can't remember now. It was uh, hmm, who wrote that? Oh well, that's really not that important for what we're talking about today. But they continually, every 10, 15 years, try to get their characters back out there, and you know, maintain that copyright and try to get some traction with them. And it's has varying degrees of success, which has been their track record for it, but. That is the basic story of how Archie started and where these characters come from. Very cool. That's crazy. Very cool indeed. So, Paul, let's get started with the questions. Obviously, um, who we want to talk about mainly is the fly. So how do you want to kick off? Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully we will get to more Archie comics as things go on. I definitely want to learn more about their lineup. Um, but we are here for the fly. Um, so we are all the dummies here, apart from you, Matt. So um, maybe you could give us an idea of who the fly is, um, like what his name is, um, how he got his powers, sort of where, where his origin stories are, really. Uh, the first origin of the fly is in Adventures of the Fly, number one, by Simon and Kirby. Uh, he is a orphan that is uh, sort of shunted off to this old couple's house who are supposed to be wizards and ancient sorcerers, uh, so they're kind of creepy and weird. And he's shoved off because uh, the boy, Tommy, has uh, figured out that there's something going on with the orphanage, uh, the guy that runs the orphanage, uh, illegal, and he's involved with some gangsters and stuff. So Tommy Troy is sent off to the, the home of these, uh, this couple, the Marches. Uh, in the first story, they're called Ben and Abigail. In the second issue, for some reason, his name is changed to Ezra. But... <laughs> He goes upstairs into an attic on his own time when he's not busy cleaning and doing chores, and he finds uh, a ring in a dusty uh, corner uh, behind a spider web, and he takes it out, and he rubs it, and this character called Turan, T-U-R-A-N, from 
another dimension of the fly people comes and he uh, appears to him and explains that uh, they used to live on Earth and there was uh, a war and they actually had to leave and he is back to give someone worthy of the power to protect Earth the powers of, of the fly. So Tommy rubs the ring and says, I wish I were the fly. And he becomes like Captain Marvel. He goes from a boy into a full-grown adult superhero. Oh, yeah, guys. Captain Marvel is who us old-school dudes call Shazam. Oh, so, he was sorry. The I forgot about that. <laughs> no, Matt, I'm with you. I refuse to call him Shazam. For me, that's the wizard. That's the always wizard. will be Captain Marvel. Exactly. So, yeah, the Shazam movie, guys, um, the character's original name back in the 40s was Captain Marvel. So if we, that will clear up a little bit of confusion for you. <laughs> Long before Marvel even existed. Yes. Yeah, yes. I, I knew he was called um, Captain Marvel like beforehand. And then I think I watched like, I think like the Justice League cartoons. And I was like, why are you calling him Shazam? He's not Shazam. He's Captain Marvel, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I can get behind that. That sounds like me. Yeah. So he's got the same creators as Captain America, but S.H.I.E.L.D. came first. And yep. he's got a very similar origin to Captain Marvel. But again, oh, yeah. Fly came before him. And the powers, I take it, are very similar to Spidey's. Apart from the fact that he can fly um, as well, of course. Actually, actually, Captain Marvel came first. Ah, okay. Before the Fly. That was 1940 with comics mm. number two. We're talking about 1959 with the Fly. Aha. Uh -huh. Okay. Good. Let's clear things up. Then. I did just want to pick up on something there, because you mentioned that... Um... The, you talked about the fly dimension and that they were um, part of Earth's dimension and then that they chose him. And that seems very similar to something that Steve was telling me about Spider-Man and the, um, <laughs> the chosen one. Um, yeah. yeah, it seems awfully familiar yeah. there. Hmm. <laughs> um, we did have a, a question um, that came in. This is probably going to be the theme. We're going to try and work out what the hell the question means and then ask you the question. So okay. you, you, mentioned, you mentioned the ring, um, which does make this question make sense. Um, someone said, Turin made the ring that turns Tommy into the fly. Why did the marches have the ring? What happened to them after that point? And they followed up with what was up with the whole wizard thing. I, uh, I, I, I've thought about those questions because um, those are good questions, and I have no idea how the marches had that ring. I think uh, it was one of those, you know, tropes for comics at that time. You know, we got to have a reason. They don't really have to have a reason for the have the ring, but if we make them wizards and sorcerers, that kind of makes sense. Obviously, Turin says, you know, he wants to bestow someone worthy of the power to to wield it but there's no real story with why the marches have the ring the one thing that sticks in my head with the whole sorcery and wizard thing and the way that uh ben march is depicted or ezra march uh because he only he's only in the first couple issues in just a little bit is uh it really reminds me of shazam a little bit in terms of the wizard there's a wizard he has 
this ring. The ring leads to the the powers eventually, and I I just have to wonder if that doesn't have something to do with the fact that the uh, the fly was originally uh, the original concept was developed by Joe Simon and C.C. Beck, who was the co-creator of Captain Marvel. Ah, yes, indeed. Oh, cool. So, so uh, oh, sorry, go on. Sorry. No, go ahead. Good, good, good. You're good. Uh, no, I, I was just basically going to ask. So basically, like, so Tommy Troy rubs the ring, and I believe so he disappears into like a, another world, and he comes back, and all of a sudden he's this grown man, and vis-a-vis the fly. So, so how did Tommy Troy go from being like a, a kid in one issue, and then to an adult in the next? The change is exactly that abrupt. In issue number four, he's still a kid. Issue number five uh, starts out, and he's hanging out his uh, his placard on his office uh, as a lawyer. And within the, the the text of the story, he explains that the fly has been retired for nine years. And uh, part of the story is his major nemesis, the spider, or spider spry, as he is initially called in the first issue is up to something and he figures it out as Troy and he decides to go back into action as the fly. Awesome. Um, That's uh, the in-story reason for it. The editorial reason for it is I think the difference in types of stories they were, they were telling because the first four issues when he's a kid, they're all very, uh, you know, oriented about he's a kid, he's an orphan. This kind of thing, and now you have an adult, and now there's a girl in it, there's other girls in it, and the story seemed to be a little bigger and more international, and the, the his, his job as a lawyer takes him to other countries uh, and other uh, places that he wouldn't normally get to go as a kid. And that is also the time when Simon and Kirby and their studio – stop doing the work on the fly. So the fourth four issues are Simon and Kirby and people they employed in their studio. And then with the uh, issue five, it is all Archie comics and other people in, in their employee that are all of a sudden doing the book. So it was a, I think that's the reason behind the, uh, the change. That's fascinating. So it was all the behind the scenes changes that led to some questionable story changes. That's amazing. Um, what's fascinating about the characters, like I said, that, that whole Captain Marvel vibe, which Marvel themselves tried to do with Marvel and Rick Jones when he got the nigger bands and he banged those together. And then Rick Jones would fly off into, in, into the neg- negative zone and be frozen in time. And, and then Alan Moore did something similar with Marvel Man. Then, of course, because Marvel are evil, had to be renamed Miracle Man. Miracle Man. <laughs> How did it work with um, the fly? So do you think that, was it more Captain Marvel where literally Billy Batson just grew to his adult form and became the fly? Or do you think he was transported to another dimension and the fly took his place? I'm going to challenge you on your interpretation of Captain Marvel first. Because mm-hmm. having read some of those Golden Age stories, I think it's implied and at times fairly obvious that Billy Batson is transported somewhere else instead of just simply growing because I can remember uh, in particular a Christmas uh, story that I have in one of those big collections from the 70s the big tabloid collections and it's from it's a reprint of a Captain Marvel story from the 40s and they buy each other Christmas presents they refer to each other in the third person as different entities I've got to get Billy something for Christmas because 
he got me something. They seem to have an idea of what the other thinks at times because Captain Marvel doesn't show up and go, oh, what's going on? Uh, why am I here? He, he kind of knows why he's there, but at the same time, there's the indication that he's a different person. The fly is developed in kind of both ways. In the initial uh, story, it kind of says he goes off to another dimension. They switch places. But at the same time, Tommy's like, oh my gosh, I'm big. What's going on? But, the, but he, he, uh, he acts like an adult. Just like Captain Marvel, when he when appeared, he would act like an adult, not like a kid, which is different from how Captain Marvel slash Shazam is portrayed now. Completely. Yeah. But just a couple issues in, there is uh, uh, some panels where it shows him kind of growing. And I guess the most uh, obvious one is actually Neil Adams' first published work. And the fly, I mentioned the fly number four, and it is a classic. Here he is growing from a kid to uh, the full fledged fly, much like you would imagine Bruce Banner turning into the Hulk and some of those depictions as you see him slowly changing and growing. So it's kind of both. And I don't know if there was ever any kind of definitive depiction. I don't think there's a definitive depiction. It kind of seems to work both ways. That is very cool and, and, and brilliantly explained. Thank you, man. Um, so, yeah, fascinating. So it literally did change from issue to issue how old he was, whether he was a kid and, and whether he grew or changed. So that may be, again, part of the reason that whole editorial change may have led to the characters being so so different. Brilliant. What was your next question then, Paul? Uh, so we had a question which, again, I'm probably going to have to ask some questions for it to even make sense to me. Um, Who's Kim? <laughs> Kim. Kim is a Kim Brand. She is a fly girl who is right. his uh, crime finding partner when she is introduced in issue 13 and 14 of the original series. Okay. And what's, how does she become a fly girl? What's her origin? She, uh, she is an actress. And in issue 13, uh, the fly happens to be near the set and he saves her when she falls off of a uh, a building as part of the shot. She's, uh, you know, quickly uh, enamored, but not overly enamored. But she's very, really grateful, obviously. And then the very next issue, he ends up in wherever they're shooting again for whatever reason. And the fly gets pulled to, uh, uh, you know, a trouble. But at the same time, something else happens, and Turan ap appears to her and says, he can't fight these things at the same time. He needs some help. I'm going to give you an identical ring to give you the same powers as he has. And then so she rubs the ring and says, fly girl, and becomes a female version of uh, the fly. I see. So that makes sense, because the question was, was Kim Brand, based on her original origin, a fly groupie who not only got to join the band, but also get with the lead singer and that does make sense you know what when i hear you say that I, I wonder uh if the person who answered that question was thinking of tommy thomas troy's secretary donna morse who was introduced in issue five and is developed for the next five or six issues because there's a writer uh, and sort of directional change with issue 11 uh as well as the previous issue change in five and 
all of a sudden Donna's gone, but she is depicted almost identically as the way Kim Brand is depicted in her first appearance, including the strawberry blonde hair. And then in Kim's second appearance, she's a full-fledged blonde, just like Thomas Troy. So it, it appears to me when I hear that question, if you were looking at it and flipping through it, you think that was the same person. Then all of a sudden she's fly girl. But if you read the right. stories, it's, uh, it's obvious they're two separate characters and it, it took going recently rereading that, uh, to, for me to see how somebody might confuse the two. If I hadn't read some of those uh, Donna Moore stories just the other day, I wouldn't have been able to answer that question that way. I would have been kind of, well, that's kind of strange because she only has one origin. And that's, and, and, and she's never, like, Donna Morris is really fawning over the fly and really wants to be noticed by the fly. But Kim Brand is never that, uh, Desperate seeming, I guess. I can't right. think of the right word, but Donna Morris is like, oh my gosh, there's a lie. And Kim Brandon is just like, hey, you saved me. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate that. Oh, look, I'm your helper. This is great. You know, different kind of depiction. So I think she got confused between the two different ladies because they look so similar. That's what I think. I think, yeah. It's kind of That's funny. That's the golden age look at all it. over that, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they all look alike. Oh, almost. <laughs> it's a, it's so a brown-haired guy. It's a red-haired girl. No, they're different characters. <laughs> like we were talking last week, so many people got confused when they picked up the Marvel versus DC crossover, seeing Spider-Man blonde and people calling him Ben and going, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it's literally that simple. Which leads to the next question then. So, we're thinking that it's more like Tommy and Kim swap bodies rather than grow into. Well, obviously, maybe that transformation is the transportation process taking place in a way that the, view, the reader can understand. But if they do swap, who are they swapping with? Like their otherworldly superpowered versions? Um, how do you think that worked? If they're swapping, my impression is in this other dimension, there is an entity that is the fly an entity that is the fly girl and those bodies those entities have those powers and those attributes and when they come in they retain some of the the memories of the they retain the memories of the characters uh that are the characters that they're, they're taking over for but it's not the same body okay that makes a lot more sense then much much better cool paul so we have a question here about the Jaguar and you mentioned him briefly earlier. Um, I'm guessing because of this question that the two do tie in together. So who is the Jaguar? What, what's his origin? How does he tie in with the fly? Um, the Jaguar is zoologist Ralph Hardy, who is in uh, South America. And he ends up finding uh, a temple with a, and a belt on a belt with a jaguar on the buckle and it looks like jaguar it's made out of jaguar you know pattern and it's got jets on it so you can fly with it but actually what it does is it gives him the powers of the animal world not just the powers of a jaguar but the powers of the animal world in general so whereas the fly has like insect powers the fly's powers develop over time from some basic fly powers to 
many, many, many different insects, including spinning a cocoon like a butterfly, uh, flapping his wings at super speed like a – what does it say? I don't remember that. Uh, a cicada or something like that, being able to burrow like a termite. And Ralph Hardy gets the powers of the rest – all the animal kingdom, which sounds a lot like what DC character? I'm going to have to pass to Steve on that one. Sounds like a cross between – animal man and buona beast to me (laughs) i I get i get a lot of animal man out of it reading the stories when he says well now my hot my skin is as tough as a rhinoceros hide and he is able to run fast like a cheetah stuff like that so it sounds like he's taking on a lot of the animal powers much like animal man and this of course predates animal man by four or five years quite a while yeah so that whole morphogenetic feel thing maybe so do you think with the fly as he then gets to access every type of insect power, that if Alan Moore got, was, got his hands on him, he's just saying that he's actually an avatar of the insects. <laughs> like we get avatars of, of the flesh world and the red and avatars of the green with nature and avatars of the rot. I bet, I bet he could be a part of the rot with the way flies yeah. are drawn to you know, decaying bodies and stuff like that. Yeah. I can definitely see something like that. Oh, yeah. But he's a heroic side of it rather than the old Anton Arcane evil version. Yeah. <laughs> and poor Abby. <laughs> oh, we love Abby. Bless we do. Abby. We absolutely do. <laughs> so one of the questions we've got here is, why did you go Simon reuse the Spider-Man script for the fly instead of creating something all new? So is this where that whole origin and creation thing comes in? So what script for the fly was a Spider-Man? Do you, do you know anything about this? Because this, this is the one that I'm really, really interested in. <laughs> okay, this is where we're going to dig real deep, and I'm going to start at the beginning of uh, the creation of the fly and where, where he comes from. So in 1953, uh, Joe Simon was working for a company called Crestwood Publishing. Uh, doing a book called Black Magic, and he developed a character he called Spider-Man. It was more of a, you know, two-fisted, swashbuckling type hero, just a jumpsuit and some boots and stuff. Uh, and it got rejected. It didn't get published. Um, a year or so later, he was uh, working at Harvey. Com- he was working for Harvey Comics, or at least Harvey. He ended up pitching this idea to Harvey Comics uh, in conjunction with C.C. Beck. The story I read. Uh, I better source a lot of this real quick because it's important to know where this comes from. A lot of the stuff uh, about Spider-Man's origin and its relationship to Simon and Kirby I got from a website called the JackKirbyMuseum.org, and it is all things Jack Kirby. And part of it is Kirby's uh, involvement in the creation of Spider-Man. So you got to look at the website, dig through this stuff. I'll mention things, and a lot of this for a little while is going to be where I got this information from. So Simon gets a phone call from CZ Beck, co-creator of Captain Marvel, who is not working in comics because remember in 1953 Fawcett shut down and he wasn't drawing Captain Marvel anymore. He owns a bar, they said in Florida and he calls Simon and says, Hey, I might, I want to do comic, some more comics. So Simon says, okay. And so he has this Spider-Man script. So he, they changed the name to the silver spider. And they give he gives them the script, and C.C. Beck actually draws the origin story the first time as the Silver Spider. So it's Tommy Troy, the orphan, finding the ring, getting the powers of the Silver Spider. Uh, but there's no real uh, 
I haven't found anything that shows what powers he had as the Silver Spider, if any at all. Uh, but when they when they submitted it to Harvey, uh, the editor Sid Jacobson suggested some changes to the character, which are important because the first thing he suggests instead of a you know brawny muscular kind of character, he suggests uh, a, a thin, almost unattractive, lanky kind of character, which ends up partly being used for the fly's villain, Spider Spry. Because while he has a big kind of fat body, it looks like a spider body, he has these really skinny arms and legs that remind you of a spider. And he also suggests that perhaps he could have some method of using silken ropes to swing on, like Tarzan or Batman, or to capture criminals with. So... That never sees publication. It goes in a file. Joe Simon has a file with his original uh, script for Spider-Man slash the Silver Spider, the original story that C.C. Beck wrote, the letter from Sid Jacobson with the suggestions, right? And he puts it aside. When Joe Simon and Jack Kirby end up going to work for Archie, Kirby had, you know, been at DC in the mid-50s doing Green Arrow and creating Challengers of the Unknown. He gets a call from Simon. Hey, you know, we're going to do this. Uh, Jack's like, okay, I need more. So what? Great, let's do it. So he gives uh, – so Simon gives Kirby the, uh, the folder, and Kirby takes it home, and he reads it, and he ends up redrawing that origin story. But they changed the name to The Fly instead of – keeping the spider or silver spider name. And that is supposedly what we end up as the original origin story in Adventures of the Fly number one, is that story. So that is the story that uh, introduces the fly's powers, such as walking on walls and ceilings like a fly. He has uh, the ability to see from any angle, which is remarkably like spider sense because <laughs> he can see things that are about to happen and he's warned and in one panel in one of the first issues it even looks kind of like the things emanating from his head when he has wow. that that tingling and that sense of uneasiness of something's wrong uh the the article written in on the website suggests that that happens throughout the entire career of the fly that's used I've reread a bunch of these comics in preparation for this thing today, and I tell you, it's in the first few a few times, but later on it doesn't appear. But I don't think that really matters because I think Kirby's involved. It still happened first, and it's so close to that 1962 Amazing Fantasy number 15, and Kirby's involvement is what becomes the real, the big question mark there. That if we if that's provable that Kirby was involved in that, then that shows that. It was really an idea carried over from Joe Simon and Jack Kirby's work together on the fly instead of something created out of whole cloth by Stanley and Steve Ditko. But anyways, so wow. the fly and, – and here's what's really interesting. In the first, so, okay, uh, instead of a gun that shoots webs or anything like that, it's turned into a, uh, a – called a buzz gun. So it's more like a, like a stinger kind of thing, which is not necessarily fly-like, but, I mean, a fly could bite you and do that. But it also kind of fits with other insect that would do that yeah. kind of thing. Uh, and in the early issues, he hardly ever flies. His name is the fly and he hardly ever flies. 
He walks up walls. He stands on the ceiling. He'll go up the side of a wall, inside a room. He jumps around like an acrobat, but he hardly ever flies. There are shots where it's like, oh, he just flew into the room, but you never see him flying, you know, like Superman out. That comes in later on, of course, but the first issues, he's more like an acrobat climbing around on the walls. It is weird. Um, It's really weird, especially the cover of the second issue. He's the fly, but he's swinging on a rope. Okay. (laughs) Why not? And there he is, swinging on a rope. Rope. He's, he's actually got the comic to show us, guys. Listeners, this is brilliant. I wish you could see this. This is a, a golden age piece of magic. Fantastic. So it's odd because everyone knows the story that obviously Stan and Steve created Spider-Man, but it's also a well-known fact that because of Jack Kirby's success with everything he touched, from Captain America to uh, all the all the Silver Age Marvel characters, Iron Man, Hulk, you name it, that he was Stan's first choice to design Spider-Man, but he drew him too muscular, too square-jawed, too superheroic. And Stan said, no, let's make him a teenager, let's make him more scrawny. And that's how Steve Ditko got the thing. So I am smelling a a rat that's covered in flies right now. In uh, 1982... uh, Kirby did an interview with Will Eisner in the Spirit magazine that uh, was published by Kitchen Sink at the time. And this was a, a series of interviews that Eisner did with lots of famous creators. And one of the questions was, Eisner says, you mean Spider-Man was cooked up between you and Joe Simon and you brought it to Stan? And then Kirby says, that's right. It was the last thing Joe and I had discussed. We had a strip called The Silver Spider. Joe, and, Joe had already moved on, so the idea was already there when I talked to Stan. So he, they created the fly off of the Silver Spider Spider-Man thing, and it was really the last thing that Stan had done with Simon. He just pulled this idea back, not really thinking, well, we've already kind of done this. Uh, where is it? 1990, in an interview with Robin Snyder, Steve Ditko says, Stan and Spider Stan said Spider-Man would be a teenager with a magic ring which would transform him into an adult hero, Spider-Man. I said it sounded like the fly which Joe Simon had done for Archie Publications. That's crazy. <laughs> wow. Damn. Those are documented articles. That's that's wow. it's reprinted in the uh in that fly book you and I were talking about uh the other day. But yeah, yeah. It's, doc- it's documented articles that are not you know, made up. I mean, I have that original Spirit magazine with that interview. I remember reading that when I was a kid. blew my mind that Jack Kirby created Spider-Man too. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's created a lot more than, than people give him credit for, more than Stan ever did. But yeah. obviously, he, he lost him before the MCU and stuff like that. Brilliant. Thanks, Matt. Paul, what was your next question then, bro? Um, well, I actually was thinking about a question as you were talking that sort of ties in. Just quickly checking my timelines as the super dummy here. So when when did The Fly start? 1959. And when did Stan Lee's Spider-Man start? 1962. So why did, why did he drop the Spider-Man name to create The Fly? Uh, if that's what they originally thought about, Spider-Man the Silver Spider, why did it suddenly become The Fly? The Fly? That I don't know why they changed the name. Uh, because Joe Simon had a, a, a logo for Spider-Man made up that was in that folder 
that he gave Jack and said, look at this and draw this story. They changed the name for whatever reason. I haven't seen any impetus of why they would change the name, but, but they did. I may have an idea because okay. um, reading loads of interviews with Stanley, obviously I'm a Stanley obsessive. Um, I know that when talking about Spider-Man, he frequently comes up with the anecdote that when he wanted to launch Spider-Man, a lot of people at Marvel were against it because they thought, well, this is a kid's comic. Spiders are scary. Kids are scared of spiders. We don't want it to be Spider-Man. And Stanley said the opposite. He said, no, 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 no. That's good and scary. Kids love being scared. And I'll agree with that. So I think that's why. So they, maybe Simon had the opposite. Exactly. They so Simon and Kirby Archie thought. Comics, yeah. yeah. Let's make this a bit more kid-friendly. Uh, flies, you see all the time, they're annoying, but they're not scary like spiders are. So maybe that's the opposite end of the spectrum that they would. I mean, that's a guess, but I know Stan said that frequently. Well, well and if you look at it, like I said, the first issue of The Fly his nemesis is the spider spry and there they are on a web on the first issue red and blue costume too ah. yeah so obviously they saw the fly and the spider as opposite so if the kid is the fly it much it's probably more kid friendly than the spider being the villain that that's a nice you know juxtaposition you know, that, that works so you might be that you might have it right there that's probably it Huh. So I know that Stan said that all the time. You've probably heard that anecdote too. That he wanted Spider-Man because it was good and scary. So <laughs> Interesting. So the question that um, sorry, the question that actually came in um, that leads into that uh, was what was the deal with the name change to Flyman and back to Fly again? So did was there a name change along the way and back again? What was going on there? There was. Uh, as the original run of Adventures of the Fly ended in about 64 uh there was a six to eight month publishing gap between issue 30 and 31 when 31 comes out the character is all of a sudden called fly man and not the fly i, I read something uh by michael uslin and robert klein both known from movies and such that they uh that the idea was oh, yeah. they it was changed for uh to sound more like Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Batman, Superman, to make it to give a different sense of the character in that in those terms. And then when Archie revised the character again in the 80s in the Red Circle line, he's back to being the Fly. I mean, huh. I think Flyman is pretty clunky personally. Yeah, yeah the Fly is cooler. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Right. I mean, you mentioned Red Circle. We all know that, obviously, eventually it was Impact and, and, and DC. But um, why isn't... Actually, I think other people may have, because you showed me, Matt, a cover of Spider-Man with the fly on it. Or was that a different character that was just made to look like the Archie character? There it is. Um, <laughs> uh, if you move it a bit more to this, actually, okay. who is the fly? He actually says it. Spidey says, um, how can I ever defeat him? That does look like the Archie character, or, or is it just a tribute, nod, nod to that? What is that? It, I think it's two uh, comic book companies playing with each other. <laughs> I think it's Marvel acknowledging that Spider-Man was derived from the same character that the Fly was, and that the Fly came first, and he has all the same powers. 
And I, I can't help but wonder with Marvel's history of trying to grab names like Captain Marvel if they didn't create a villain for Spider-Man called The Fly, went ahead and made him green and yellow, just like The Fly, in order to have a character there that if Archie ever dropped uh, the copyright or anything, they could, they could grab it up. That's my thoughts. Sneaky little Sneaky, sneaky. <laughs> And if you read the... If you read, you read that issue, and it's, and knowing what you know, you can't help but find it immensely funny. It's, it's crazy because part of the thing is he he was, he says the fly was created to mimic all my powers to defeat me. <laughs> oh, meow! That's close to the bone. Saucer yeah. of milk, table five. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So when was the last time we saw the fly? Was it Impact? Was it DC? Um, do they still own the rights? Do you know any, anything about that? Uh, Joe Simon got the rights back to his version of the shield and the fly a few years back. The last time that Archie tried to do any uh, superhero comics, they can't use the fly without paying Simon something. And the, the Simons estate at this point doesn't want to give up the, the property. So they can, I, I guess they, I guess they can reprint the old stuff, but Simon was involved in that book, so that might be before that happened, uh, or they had it arranged with him at that point. Uh, but the but Fly Girl appeared in the most recent stuff that Archie's done with their superheroes, but not the Fly. He's written off 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 panel. Something else has happened to him, and he's not able to be part of the story for whatever reason. Inside the story, but legally it's because they don't have the rights to him anymore. But Archie Comics themselves are Warner subsidiaries the same way that DC is now, so it might be a lot easier and a lot friendlier if they decided to, to go down that route anyway, wouldn't it? It would be, yeah. I think I think people want to see the fly and they want to see the... Well, I do now. Come back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, there's probably more money for the Simon estate to be had to develop something with them as opposed to just holding on to it and be like, no, we're not going to sell it. We're not going to do anything. Yes, I can get you anything. First, there was the DC Comics News podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now... The third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I am the night. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones. I am the night. Why, hello there. I'm Seth Singleton, and I'm here to tell you about Mad Pup, a Harley Quinn cast. Three, two, one. Harley Quinn? Harley fucking Quinn? What have we learned from this crazy show? Making Bat Shark repellent relevant since 1966. Oh, look, Ogre. And we've gone completely off the rails. I hear the bat signal. Shut up and bat them, nuts. I definitely do not fuck 
death. In need of an adult-sized nemesis. Humans make good fertilizer. You can't fuck with Lois Lane. For fuck's sake. I'm a damn good cop. Lot of lasers. Mmm. Educational and informative. The DC Comics News Podcast Network presents Mad Love, the Harley Quinn cast. <laughs> Back to you, Seth. So, tell us your thoughts. We'd love to hear from everyone out there. Or not. That's really up to all of you. Fuckers. Hi, my name's Steve. And I'm here to tell you all about the DC Comics News Podcast. Every week, my friends and I sit down and discuss everything DC. Movies, TV and streaming, comic books, and everything in between. But don't just take my word for it. Here are a couple of our sponsors. Listen to the DC Comics News Podcast. It's audio justice. <laughs> no, no, no. It's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Whatever the case, you can find the DC Comics News Podcast on every podcast platform. Apple Podcasts. Google Play. Spotify. Stitcher. And everywhere else you find podcasts. So, um, can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, listeners. This is Tony Farina from DC Comics News and an occasional guest on Comics in Motion. I'm pleased to announce a new show called Indie Comics Spotlight. Each week, my guests and I will be taking a deep dive into a current title or a classic graphic novel from a publisher other than the big two. Consider this show the best of the rest. My hope is that we'll bring new readers to independent comics and give old readers a chance to share their thoughts. Join me each week in the Comics in Motion feed in your favorite podcast catcher. Do we have any indication of what Joe Simon thought of the flight after he left the title? Um, I've never seen anything about that. I, 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 everything I've read by Simon talking about it is really talking about the creation of the fly and you know what what he what his his role in that, but not a whole lot of uh, of any anything after that. What what about? Did he have any idea what he would do if if it stayed with him at all or? Uh, you know, thinking about the way Simon and Kirby worked and Stan Lee and Jack Kirby worked, I have a feeling Stan Lee had more to do – or uh, Jack Kirby had more to do with what was going to happen with the stories than than Joe Simon. Joe Simon, in, from my understanding, was more of the business end. He did some scripting. He did do some drawing and some inking, but you know, Kirby's output is ex- – his output is unbelievably prolific and he just would be able to churn out stuff and he created stuff. He would even write notes in the margins for Stan. This is what's going on in this scene. So we dialogue it accurately. So I think the partnership was pretty similar with, with Joe Simon handling the business and some of the ideas, but Kirby really being the idea man, as far as what we're going to do with this character. And, and, you know, I, I know I've read somewhere that Kirby said he wanted to create stuff and then leave it to somebody else to do something with and then move on and create something else. He didn't he wasn't necessarily interested in sticking around with a character for a really long time.
Yeah. Very cool. So this is blowing my tiny little fanboy <laughs> mind now. So we've got Jack Kirby, Joe Simon, Stan Lee, Steve Ditko, so many legends, CeCe Beck involved with him. But according to one of the other questions we've received, Jerry Siegel, co-creator of Superman, was thrown into the mix at some point as well. And there was going to be like a very similar thing to the Green Lantern Corps. There was going to be like a fly Corps, which again ties into the whole other side of Spider-Man, that he's one of the universal protectors against Morland and the Cosmic Vampires. <laughs> My head's going to explode. Dude, <laughs> what's the Jerry Siegel connection? Jerry Siegel got hired by Archie in the mid-60s when they changed the name to Flyman. That's a Jerry Siegel issue. And he wrote... I think he wrote everything for Archie superhero stuff from like 65 to 68. Every Everything they put out, I think he was writing. Wow. That's unbelievable. I did see, I did, I'm learning so much. I did not know <laughs> that at all. So was he then trying to make like an event title before there were event titles by, by doing this? Well, the first issue of that is Flyman at coming out as coming appearing as Flyman in the same issue the original shield comes back the black hood comes back the comet comes back those three issues of that three issues of Flyman 31 32 33 develop the idea of a superhero team then the very next month the mighty crusaders appears and that is those characters plus fly girl so it's Archie's superhero team so it it kind of has that event feel to it because they also bring back a couple of the characters, the Hangman and the Wizard, but they bring them back as villains instead of heroes. So, I, yeah, it's it's like what? <laughs> Eventually, the Hangman comes around and is a good guy again. But then, in the in the midst of uh, the Mighty Crusaders series, they bring back basically every Archie superhero that ever appeared in a couple in a story. So you got characters that haven't been seen in at that point, you know, twenty twenty five years, showing up for the first time. So yeah, it, it does it, it does have an event feel to it, absolutely. Amazing, 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 amazing. Oh, brilliant. So Dan, we've talked about the comics. So if you want to start asking the wonderful Matthew about the purported fly movie and Chris Rock, mate. Oh, Resident Movie, turn. man. Resident Movie. All right, all right, all right. What do you actually know? What do you know about the uh, the Fly movie? It was around uh, two thousand, and I guess uh, Robert Zemeckis was attached to to develop it and and direct it. That's so. Cool. So a, a good a good name a director we know that does good movies right. And Chris Rock was uh, attached to be the Fly. Uh, oh. I, I think there was a there was a script stage with it. And the script, from what I've read, just developed into be real uh, socially aware, and it kind of took away from the sort of the fun element they were hoping for with some like Chris Rock is, and he's a funny guy. I mean, uh, and it came became something else that they really hadn't intended it to be, and I think that people just lost interest in it, and it just kind of went anywhere. And it's it's a tough sell for a character that you know nobody really knows. That was. 2000 that was what right after the first x-men movie which sort of started the whole modern superhero uh movie uh trend and 
I think a lot of things got optioned and, and worked on and the fly, while it'd been really cool to see a, you know, off brand character like the fly, not Marvel or DC get a movie, uh, probably just character recognition would have been difficult and it might've had to go some places that really wouldn't have fit in with the original concept. But I, I think it's, uh, it's pretty amazing that the character even got, noticed by somebody but uh obviously i talked about michael uslin either he was obviously involved in that somehow i don't remember exactly how but uh he's a big fan he's a big comic book fan we know that and and one of these things mentions that you know you can find him as one of the letter writers in one of these old archie superhero books you know he had his letter printed as a kid so that's how that's how he was a fan of the characters Oh, cool. I mean, that would, that would be a very interesting, uh, I think a very interesting pick for somebody to play the fly. Because somebody, somebody who's normally like a, st- a stand-up comic, I mean, he's been in a couple of movies like Dogma and uh, Lethal Weapon 4 and all this sort of stuff. And he and his sort of brand of style acting is, is very stand-up. So, I mean, why why would they go ahead and choose somebody like Chris Rock? I mean, you've got, you got people like Paul Judd and, you know, you wouldn't think would be like a superhero so why would they choose chris rock to play the part well i think you can look at you know michael keaton a comedic actor did a fantastic job with batman 89 so there are uh you know antecedents to comedic comedic actors doing uh serious roles and what's that movie uh with jim carrey where he's the the kid that the guy that lives inside the world everybody's watching on tv i can't remember oh, the truman show that's it and you know he does a great job in that, and it's a serious role, but everybody thinks of him as a, as a, as a comedian. And I think they, they probably felt they could get either a similar portrayal uh, from Chris Rock in the role, or they were going to go much more humor-oriented humor with it, which, I mean, you could do that. I mean, we thought, and we talked about the Shazam, Captain Marvel character. You know, that, that movie is a much lighter-hearted you know, film than some of the other serious DC films and other films that have been done. So I think you're developing a concept and it starts one way and it kind of goes another way. You get somebody involved and it starts to veer off again and maybe it doesn't kind of come together congeal like you thought it would based on the original uh, idea. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, I mean, like having, I, I can see what you mean, like, like the distinction between like Chris Rock being the fly and you got, um, uh, I can't remember. I, can't, I think it's Eugene Levi. I can't remember his name. The guy who plays Shazam. Zachary Levi. Zachary yeah. Levi. That's it. Yeah. That's, that's that's what I was going for. Like, he was pretty light-hearted in that movie, and that which was unusual for like a DC movie. Um, so you know, if uh, if Chris Rock was going to be the Fly, then you know who would have been a good Fly uh, girl to play alongside Chris Rock, and for that matter, Spider Man and Turan. Oh wow. Um... Fly Girl, two thousand. I don't know how old was Scarlett Johansson. Don't say Halle Berry. <laughs> don't say Halle Berry. After what she did to Catwoman, she already ruined Catwoman. How old was Scarlett Johansson then? Was she have been too young to do that? I don't know. She tends to pop up in my head as a good for a lot of roles. Now, <laughs> Twenty years ago, now she's about fifteen, sixteen. So that might have worked. If uh if they kept if they had her as a young a young actress I guess that could have worked something like that I I don't I don't know that's that's interesting I mean you wonder if they would have uh 
uh, going with another African-American actor, uh, with Chris Rock being uh, African-American at the time. But who knows? You know, they might not have. As that wasn't the first thing I would I thought of was the first thing I thought of was not Halle Berry. So I, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think as far as uh, somebody, no, she tall, was good at Storm in the X. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Even though she did say next to nothing in the first X Men movie. <laughs> well, I guess she, she fried off the more. costume. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, what about Spider and Turan then? Oh, uh, my gosh. I almost wonder if uh, they wouldn't have made the spider a little more, a little less human and trying to make him more spider-ish, especially if it was going for a, uh, a, a humor vibe and, you know, he kind of has like the face of a human and a, more of a body of a spider with the long spindly legs and that kind of thing. Going a little bit different direction. This is having some kind of pudgy, pudgy guy with skinny arms, which is tough to find in real life. <laughs> Who would you two cast as a spidery bad guy then back in 2000? Back in 2000? I'm thinking of my twin, Wayne Knight, who plays Nedry in Jurassic Park. Oh, oh, <laughs> he would yes. have been pretty good. And that's his era. That's true. That that's not a bad that's not a bad choice. Mm. That's not a bad choice. I don't know why. Then. I don't know why, but for some god awful reason, Willem Dafoe just popped into my head. That's he exactly have... the person I had in my head. <laughs> That's really weird. Because he has a very... Because <laughs> he, he has a very, like, very insecty kind of looking face, yes. especially when he grins. Like, I don't know if you've seen it. There's, like, almost like these, like, the, the GIF images of, like, a crazy face, and it's one of Willem Dafoe who just going, just, like, really, like, smiling, like, ear to ear. And it's just, it's like, holy crap, that's terrifying. And you're not just saying that because he played the Green Goblin, which is Spider-Man's nemesis in that movie, mm. right? Uh, no, no. It's making me go bug-eyed. I did not go that way. I did not say that. that was do, you remember the, that was do you remember the scene in Bram Stoker's Dracula when Dracula is climbing around on the side of the yes. wall? That kind of spidery kind of... That's what I imagine. That's what I'm kind of imagining. That kind of movements and, and depiction. That's kind of what I'm seeing in my head. So not so much Burt Ward and Adam West climbing up the side. No, but really creepy and more, you know, animalistic. Or... No, as you were saying that. What about the wizard character, Turan? Who, who would you cast as a good wizard who imbues a teenager with superpowers? Back in 2000. Oh, gosh. I'm terrible with movie stuff. I'm not nearly as good as I should be. I read too many comic books. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody tall and... <sighs> okay. Perfect. Do you remember the basketball player Manute Bowl? He's like seven feet six, yep. huge and tall and and lanky. That is the exact way he's depicted. Very tall, real skinny arms, very tall and skinny and lean and thin. Somebody like that. Somebody like Jeff that. Goldblum. 
Oh, yes. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> but hang on, hang on. He was the fly. Yeah, he was. Oh. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> then that, that would make sense if he made the ring. Oh, yeah. Felt a certain buzz about that, didn't you? Oh, oh, dear, oh. Dear. It's no flies on you, Dan. No. <laughs> We're going to drive poor Matt Bug-Eyed with all this nonsense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, we shouldn't be allowed out. No. No. I'm not. Um, we should no, that's be true. only allowed out with constant supervision. <laughs> <laughs> and a shock collar. <laughs> Amazing. So... Do you, do you think we'll ever see these characters again, Matt? I absolutely think that we'll see them again at some point. Archie, every, like I said, every 10, 15 years, trots them out again for another round. Uh, the end of uh, April, they started doing some digital first stuff with uh, crossover between a superhero character and their uh, their Betty, Veronica, Archie characters. So they'll, they'll be around. They're not going to get rid of them. I don't think they might get licensed again, you know, to somebody who really wants to, to, to give it a shot. But I think, I think they'll stick around in some fashion for another, they, they may not ever catch on and do more than, you know, six or eight issues when they come out, but they'll give them a try again. They, they have a good track record of trying. So. Awesome, awesome. So, um, would you, do you reckon that you know the, the intellectual properties of the fly and uh, Lancelot Strong st- strokes shield um, have any value? They probably have more value to the fans of the characters than to any particular entity that would own them or purchase them at this point. You know, people like me that that love these Archie superhero characters, you know. We're going to buy anything that they show up in. They show up in a comic, we're going to buy it. Whether it's published as a licensed product, whether it's an Archie comic, whether it's a digital first, you know, just to maintain the copyright comic. We're, we, we, we are that kind of fans with these characters. And there's a pretty strong uh, uh, fan base for them. They're not huge, but they're very, very tenacious. We, these are some of those characters of other region have touched us in certain ways, not like that, that really... Uh, it really means something to us. I don't know. I don't quite know what to say to that right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, like, I mean, throughout this thing, you, you've been saying, like, you say, you know, you've had characters that go into limbo, they disappear for a while, then they come back, and this, that. And so, you know. Why does the character remain in limbo when, like many other lesser-known properties, are published like on a regular basis? I think a lot of that goes to how popular they were originally. Excuse me. Uh, you know, lots of Marvel characters and DC characters have a bigger company behind them. Uh, they probably had a bigger readership to begin with when they first came out. Somebody like The Fly, you know, you guys said you never really heard of these characters over there, probably any of them, until the Impact stuff in the 90s, right? And some of those versions are so different from the original concepts that you would not even know they were, you know, the same character except for the name. 
I think that's where a lot of that, that limbo comes from. And, you know, DC has a habit of picking up characters that have from defunct companies, like when they picked up Charlton comics stuff in the eighties, you know, they could easily do that again with somebody. Somebody should, somebody should do that and try to do something with them. But that almost, almost gets into the whole nature of the comic book industry and where we are and such. Cause you could go back and look at some of the circulation numbers for the fly back in the sixties. And if they were selling like that today, they'd be the top seller of any book. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Comics these days sell a fraction of what they used to back then. A fraction. And we and we don't have and we don't have you know good numbers on all the trades that are sold. You know that's a separate. That's almost done separately entirely. So it's hard to put to, it, from a a money making perspective. It's hard to imagine you know how much something is worth. You know how how much is that you know new issue of Superman uh, making DC? You know when you take the number one issue and then the trades and how all that works. It's a very different business model. It's not just like, well, we sold, you know, 600,000 copies on the stands this month. So, all right. You know, they can, they, I mean, gosh, you know, Hawkman is so good and it's selling in the teens, you know, comics would never get Great that low in the old days. They would never get that low. I don't know what the breaking point was back then, but if it was selling, it would never get that low ever. So it's, you got great comics that have trouble selling, like Hawkman, but he comes back every few years, too. They keep trying it. They keep trying it because he's one of those really iconic characters for DC that, that nobody looks like Hawkman out there. And he's – well, okay, except for the people that you know they stole him from, which is Alex Raymond, the Hawk, the Hawk people in Flash Gordon. Uh, but, but nobody knows who Flash Gordon is anymore anyway, so that's kind of a moot point. <gasps> My heart. But he did make it over here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's amazing. Thanks, Matt. Gents, any questions of your own? Obviously, we've exhausted all the questions from the audience. So, do, okay. I mean, I know my, I've been inspired to learn more about the character. What about you two? No, this has definitely been like a, a, a very exhilarating learning experience. Um, I think. I'm going to spend the rest of the night picking my brains off of the floor <laughs> and uh, getting the spatula out and scoop, scoop, scooping it off the ceiling. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, man. You'll like, need flyer powers for that, Dan. Yeah, where's that bloody ring? Walk up the ring? wall and... <laughs> 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 it's very no, rare no. that we get to see Steve's mind blown. So that, that was nice. <laughs> that was nice to see. Yeah, absolutely. Welcome to our world, Steve. How does it feel? <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome. But I've, I've been wanting to talk to Matt about this kind of stuff for such a long time. And now I finally had an excuse. So, I mean, yeah, um, brilliant. What about you, Paul? Have you had uh, any questions for our esteemed visitor this week? Uh, no, I haven't. I think um, nothing that we haven't already touched on. Um, we'll definitely have to touch on some more Archie comics in the future and hopefully get you back. Because I, I think we, yeah. we have got so much that we still need to learn and still need to cover these questions. I mean, when they came in, I didn't even have the basis to know what even the questions meant. So exactly. probably give us a week and we can do this episode all over again, knowing what we're talking about that time. Um, but I was curious that, you know, what do you think the future is for comics? Because you talked about, you know, we've got issues that are going down to selling in the teens. Are yeah. we just getting to get to the point where... 
it's going to be the big names going through movies and they're going to be the ones that are selling? I don't even know that the the movies impact comic book sales at all. Think about all the people that go and see these movies. Have you ever found – how many people do you find that go, oh, yeah, I started reading comics because I saw the Aquaman movie? Nobody, nobody says that. You know? Well, I don't find it. UK, you that. get that, actually. Do you? Does that work over there? Yeah, it I know yeah. a lot of people who've got into comics specifically because of the TV shows and the movies. Well, and then good. they get their minds blown by how much better the comics are. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I want to be hopeful for comics because I, I enjoy the medium so much. And I really think the biggest problem with comics is getting new readers. And I don't know about – well, Steve, I'm, we're about the same age, so I'm sure we grew up the same way we saw it at the newsstand or the convenience store exactly. or something like that or whatever the British equivalent is. And we got yeah. them for a quarter, 35 cents, 50 cents, whatever they were costing at the time. And that got Ten us excited. Pence. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that got us excited. And, and that's how we got into it. But little kids don't have that opportunity anymore. Not only do they cost no. four or five bucks a pop, they, uh, you know, they're, they're not available like that. You have to go to a comic book store, which is why I thought the Walmart Giants DC was doing was so great because, oh, because you could get for five bucks, which doesn't sound like a good price for a comic, but for 100 pages, that's a good price. Yeah. And mm. you could give that to a kid and they could read it and get excited about it. And I don't see that anymore. With, for kids, and that's the thing. I've also thought there needs to be some way to tie in comics and video games. And I don't mean like, here's a comic book based on a video game, but rather, here's a comic you have to read in order to play the video game. Like, if you don't play the read the comic, you won't be able to play the video game. Because that seems to be the thing that appeals to young people more than it. I don't, I'm not a video game guy. I don't, over my head, no clue. But that's, that's what, you know, I talk to, you know, my daughters, and they, they, their friends are always playing video games and stuff. So how do you get those kids interested in comics? You give them a video game they have to play. You have to read. To play. In order to play, you got to read the comic. Read this comic so you can play a video game. So I don't know. That's what I've thought about, what needs to happen. What I think is going to happen, I think there's going to continue to be a deterioration probably unless something major happens. And I bet we'll get graphic novel in bookstores first and the floppy will eventually tail off to where it's either digital yeah. only or it'll all go straight to the uh it's already starting to go that way isn't it it really is and i don't think this the whole covid19 pandemic has helped with shutting things down because it's a lot easier to say well i'm just not going to go back to it i've yeah. been gone you know or i don't need to read that comic anymore i might still read this comic and that but i'm going to drop this and this and shoot marvel's not even got a regular schedule yet which is kind of crazy so i don't know what's gonna i don't i don't obviously know but those are my thoughts on it it's sad in one sense but in another sense there's a whole bunch of old comics out there that you can go find and read and it's still a lot of fun that's i sometimes think maybe i'll just flip to all old comics because you don't have to you don't have to worry about when they're coming out you just go to the box and you find something you want to find that's interesting and you you dig in especially the dollar box that we have here in a lot of stores they're inexpensive and still fun i'll, I'll dig into the 26 long boxes i own so <laughs> 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 well, i've got plenty to read that's, that's what i did over there 
COVID-19. Well, that, that, that's the thing. You've got a big collection of stuff. I mean, I broke out all these flies to, re- to read some of them and ended up reading more and more and read more. It's like, I guess I'll just read them all. <laughs> <laughs> that was our next question because we usually have a reading list, but obviously I've been talking to you, Matt, over the last few days, and, and sadly, there's not much out there on the character, which is heartbreaking, but please tell us what there is and who publishes it and what it's all about. Well, Archie Comics back, uh, I guess, around the early 2000s did some collections of their characters, and I flashed this one up first. It was an Adventures of the Fly collection. It is still available on Amazon. That's beautiful. uh, (laughs) Well, I don't think there are many left, but it's uh, it's mostly Joe Simon and Jack Kirby stuff, and it's like the, almost the first four issues of in the entirety of the series. So it's a great place to start for the Fly. They also did one with the Mighty Crusaders, and the Fly is part of that group, and it has uh, the Shield and the Comet and the Black Hood and Fly Girl in it when they're uh, revived in the mid '60s. And then, of course, there was also the original Shield. Uh, this handles a lot of the early stories from the 40s including his first appearance from pep comics number one and is there one more i think that's all the the old archie stuff that's out there and that's it's a real shame you can find reprints uh of some older stuff that's not too hard to get uh there's a a couple digests archie published in the 70s that have some reprints of the superhero stuff in it uh Unfortunately, there's just not a whole lot. Archie really needs to invest in a an archives edition for some of these characters. Something like the Jaguar, you can almost do it in one big book. It's only 15 issues with some assorted issues in uh, some of the Archie humor books. They had a Fly and Fly Girl and Jaguar stories for a few years, for a few, what, I don't know, a year or so in those books that usually featured the regular Archie characters. Uh, the Archie show is all published by Archie? They're all published by Archie, yeah, because they, they actually still – at that point, they still owned everything. And I'm going to guess that the uh, there was an arrangement with the Joe Simon at the time because he, he provided the forward to the Fly book. So he was still involved with it at that point. Cool. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Um, I mean, we've come to the end of the questions. Is there anything, Matt, that you want people to know about that we haven't covered? Let me check my notes because I made some notes just in case so I didn't get lost when I, I had to think I had to try to think through a lot of different things, uh, what might get asked and stuff I didn't want to forget. I know I think I think we'd handled uh, almost everything that uh, was really important, good questions that was able to bring out the story. Oh oh, I know something I want to say. And it goes back to uh, Stanley and Steve Ditko because a lot of the, a lot of the discussion about the origin sounds like we're trying to take something away from Stan and Steve, and uh, and I don't like that because they're such you know important creators in the history of comics and you know brilliant in their own right for uh, what they did. And I th- I think it's important to note that while Jack Kirby may have brought some ideas about a Spider-Man character, I think it's really the development of the character through that first uh, few years with Stan and Steve working together to create Peter Parker's personality, the kind of uh, problems he had, and injecting that real-life stuff into it, and and that aspect that is just as important 
to the creation of Spider-Man as it is uh, a name and some powers. Because, you know, DC Comics said that Captain Marvel was an infringement on Superman. But to, to this day, just because they have super strength that they can fly, it's not, it's not the same character. They're completely different characters. So there's a lot that, you know, might have come from that original Joe Simon idea. But there's just as much, if not more, that was added by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko in the creation and development of the character over time. And, you know, I, I know at, at some point it sounded like, it could have sounded like by some people that I'm trying to say something, you know, disparaging about Stan and Steve's work, but, you know, too much respect for their contributions uh, to so many characters. And I think it's just one of those things. You, you borrow from this, you borrow from that. Just because Captain America looked a lot like the shield and had stuff, and there's a big resemblance, is that character uh, a ripoff of the shield? No, not at all. Because Steve Rogers, even though they both have a serum that makes them super strong and stuff, it's not. It's still not the same character. There's a lot of different aspects to it. And of course, over the years, they went in vastly different directions. So, it's it's not the same. And to me, Spider-Man and the Fly are second cousins that <laughs> share some family traits, but don't really look a lot alike anymore. Yeah, yeah. We pay we pay homage to the ancestors, but we also <laughs> we realize that they are each as good as each other. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's your parents. It's in the, using the genealogical uh, analogy. You know, your great-great-grandfather had something to do with you, but it's really more about your parents than what happened 100 years ago. But it's still a part of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like it. Brilliant. Thank you so much for, um, for joining us, Matt. Um, You're welcome. How can people find you on the internet? Are you working on anything special at the minute that... <laughs> people should know about uh, there's nothing particularly well there's a black panther essay that's been off with a editor for a while with a friend of mine but they seem to work really slow and who knows if that'll ever see the light of day <laughs> um otherwise you know i weekly reviews and news editing some news articles for dc comics news uh i post all my uh reviews to facebook and twitter so matt B Lloyd on Twitter. Uh, I review weekly, so that's the easiest place to find me. Your book, Matt. Tell us about your book. Oh, oh, oh. Well, I had a a friend of mine and I did a chapter in a book about Batman called uh, Politics in Gotham, uh, Batman Universe and Political Thought. Uh, And that came out, what, a year ago? Over a year ago? And uh, as a collection of essays with uh, a political theme and not not so much as a uh, left-right kind of political, but political theory, like uh, Machiavelli and those kind of political thinkers, Hobbes, and traditional political thought and how it relates to the Batman universe. So that was obviously a very academic work, but wow. fun nonetheless. Well worth picking up, though. Yeah, that's on Amazon, too. You can find that on Amazon, too. Brilliant. Well, everyone has to get on that immediately because that's, that sounds amazing. That's right up my alley. Um, that's oh, well. your kind of thing Paul which it is really is about to mention it so I'll, I'll be looking for that as soon as we finish thank you very cool. much <laughs> you're welcome um, thank you very much for joining us um, thank you so that was Archie Comics The Fly 
make sure everyone get your suggestions in for who we should talk about next. Um, we will put a tweet out and try and get your ideas, and then we'll look at who we're going to do next week and get your questions in as soon as you see that in. So, Dan, how can people find you on Twitter? Uh, so, yeah, so as you say, they can find me on Twitter on at darkronin84. So that's uh, dark underscore, and then Ronin is spelt R-O-N-I-N 84. So dark Ronin 84. Steve, what are the many, many places that people can find you? Oh, blimey. I'm going to take over the world like Dr. Evelyn Starbucks if I'm not <laughs> careful. It's terrifying. <laughs> Easiest way to catch all my mad, insane ramblings, news reviews and interviews across both DC Comics news and Dark Knight News is just, just going to the search engine of choice and typing in Steve J. Ray or by typing in Fantastic Universes for the sites I run and own with lots of wonderful, wonderful people. But please talk to us, comment, follow this show, rate us, review us, tell us what we're doing wrong, hopefully not very much, tell us what we're doing right, hopefully tons and tons and tons Fingers by uh, catching me on, on the Twitter <laughs> at Stevo E-L underscore S-T-E. EVO. Matt, again, thank you so much. I love learning stuff and you make it so much fun and so easy. I could talk to you all day and all night about this stuff, but um, I, uh, we have to get you back on to talk about the shield and other large characters. And listen, Paul, Dan, we were talking about this before this show that in the UK, we know about characters like Archie, Jughead, Betty and Veronica, because we hear those names on sitcoms oh. and we want to know more about them because we've never really experienced the characters. So you're definitely going to be back on in future dates because we never had them until Riverdale. And a lot of people watching Riverdale thinking, well, hang on, these are comics characters. And oh, wow. you get the show, but haven't got the backup, the, 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 the background. So we need more of that too. So thank you so much for that. Um, Paul, Dan, again. You're my brothers. I love you. Thanks for making this possible and indulging an old comics nerd who wanted to learn from someone who's a guru to me. So brilliant. Love it. Love it. Love it. Brilliant. Um, yeah. Thank you again. Thank you, Matt. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Hopefully we'll have you again soon. Um, so you can find me at Paul Damac, P-A-U-L-D-A-M-A-C. I am nowhere near close to taking over the world like Steve. <laughs> Um, or but, Starbucks you know, yeah or Starbucks I'm not sure who's ahead Steve or Starbucks there we might have to do the counting on that one <laughs> thank you so much for joining us we are Superheroes for Dummies we're produced by Steve and Adam Ray edit and mixed by Adam Ray music is from Professor Elemental we are proud member of Comics in Motion do join us next time and remember, no question too big or too small. You may come into the sh show thinking you're a dummy, but you'll end up a superhero. And if you're a superhero already, we're just going to boost your powers. See you next time. See you later, guys. Without some theme music. Entirely from old trumpets. Every hero needs theme music.
music and this is mine Finest beat I could find, renewed spirit and mind Spitfire to find a missing friend of mine Dip dive till I arrive at the end of time This is music for black holes and alternative futures This is music to play through your onboard computer A song to play in Batmobiles or a Man of Steel's iPod Billy Bats and Magic Words or Marvel Man, my god Fire up your targets, the game's afoot Underpants over tights is now a good look I begin expeditions, no end to my mission There's been monkey business and my friend is missing So listen all scallywags, vagabonds, villains Beware because it's on, this is just the beginning No cape, just a time belt with vivid shine Every hero needs theme music and this is mine! Ha! Fire up the Maxwell-O-Matic Scratch 3000 I want to begin this mission in style